Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Something to Declare in what is the final episode of season four. Thank you for being with us through the season, or indeed for joining us if this is your first time because you've tuned in particularly for today's guest. Uh, Beth, hello. How are you? Hi, very well. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you. Now, uh, Beth, we have with us today uh, someone who I was about to say straddles, which I don't know if that's the right word, um, but is part of both of our worlds in that we have someone who is part-time on the staff at Regent's Park College in Oxford. Other Baptist colleges are available and is also part-time uh, in local ministry in Southend-on-Sea, the city of Southend-on-Sea. Other Baptist venues are available. Yeah. <laughs> But are they? Are they really? I'm not sure they are. No. Everything seems to come from Southend. <laughs> Southend does have a bizarre place in the life of Baptists in this nation. I don't understand it. Um, historical? Is there some sort of historical connection? Well, I don't know if there is. Well, I mean, we obviously that. there is. Well, we should have asked Andy, really. Um, <laughs> But I mean, certainly a lot of the, the churches, you know, there's been a, a faithful desire to plant. So, you know, new communities spread up around. Um, and so uh, the churches have been very good at planting into those communities. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot. So South End on Sea is not a huge borough, but we have 13 ish Baptist churches, give or take. Um, and I would say that all of them pretty much now, are, you know, are numerically really healthy as in they can sustain ministry and are doing things in their community so it's really whereas so the borough I grew up in which is not dissimilar in size elsewhere in Essex they have two and a half Baptist churches so uh, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic uh, here um, I think part of it is there hasn't been a strong evangelical Anglican presence mm. I think historically I and mean, that's changed now there's a a lot of money gone into a resource church and now a number of other churches are being sort of consumed by all of that really but so that it may be that'll change but I, I think that's probably had an influence as to why they've all been as strong as they mm. have perhaps but but it's great and it provides lots of opportunities to do things together um it also provides some challenges one might say there should be some sort of limit on the amount of baptist ministers who should be in one area but um <laughs> Uh, but I love my uh, sisters and brothers in ministry in Southend very much. And uh, we do, you know, we are, we do do things together and it's good to do things together. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we do across the city wouldn't happen if the Baptist churches weren't doing it. So uh, CAP runs across, uh, Christians Against Poverty Work runs across the city. So it, whereas CAP is usually owned by one church, um, we have a model here where I think it's 12 churches working together. And a lot of that is entirely sustained by the Baptist churches. The food bank across the city is um, often run in Baptist venues. I think there's one Anglican venue and the rest of it's all Baptists. So, and certainly when we were doing the floating night shelter, things like that as well. So Baptist churches are very active in, in South End and known for that. So it's quite interesting. And I'm almost not quite, I don't know how many ministers we've got in Southend, but it's quite a lot because you have folks who are not in ministry, in local church ministry as well. They're in chaplaincy or spiritual directors or you know, there's probably 20 of us, I think. And uh, I'm not quite father of the house yet, but uh, I'm working my way up the food chain uh, in, in that respect. <laughs> so 
So, but Andy is longer than Andy. No, Andy is one of the few who've been here longer than me. So Andy arrived the year before I did. So, um, so we're talking about Andy Goodliffe, by the way, everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he might have been on the podcast title. <laughs> yeah, he, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Probably introduce him. <laughs> yeah. So Andy's our guest today, and we're, we're pleased because we've both been blessed by uh, Andy's existence and Andy's ministry. So we're pleased that uh, we were able to have him, have him on the podcast. But, you know, Beth, I mean, you know, you've got, God willing, many, many years to go before uh, you stop doing uh, anything in active ministry. So, you, you know, a time in Southend may beckon at some point for you too. There's not many that get out without Bristol, Southend and Leeds. Isn't that, you know, if you're going to do ministry for any decade, you've got to do one of those. Is that right? How it works. Yeah, I think so. Those are the Baptist meccas um, <laughs> in, in the UK, um, which I just think is so bizarre. Bristol, I understand. Even, you know, having somewhere. That, see, that is historical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the South End stuff, I mean, South End itself is newer than that. So um, South End was really a fishing village until the Victorians. So it's very much a new thing. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is just odd um, in a way that is wonderfully eccentric. Um, so we're grateful for it. And the church is all, you know, a little bit different. They all have their own unique quirks and characters. But uh, if anyone wants to come to Southend and suss it out, you'd be very, very welcome. And uh, I did hear a story. I don't think I'm saying anything I shouldn't. Um, with somebody else who was speaking at an event in another part of the UK. And they made reference to Southend. And they made reference to the theological spectrum within Baptist life in Southend. And how um, you have churches who might be sort of across the geographical spectrum at one end of the borough and the other end of the borough who might also have differing theological opinions on things as well but so south end was being used as a kind of example or as a illustration of both the geographical changes and the theological breadth within one city in the life of, of baptists um i think i've yeah, that probably doesn't make any sense without saying other stuff that I can't say. <laughs> I think so, we can, we can probably <laughs> the gaps. No. Anyway, there you go. So South End's the place to be. Essex is God's own county. So, and I won't hear any difference said. So, I I, I predict a riot on Twitter. Yeah. Um, well, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because because obviously you know you know Andy from you know Andy from Essex, but for me he's very much associated with Regents. And um, yes, like I met Andy for the very first time when I first went to look around at Regents. Um, okay. He's, I got sat next to him as the kind of current student um, who was there to have a nice chat with and find out what he was up to. Um, and he was doing his research into uh, young people and um, communion, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And um, and so, yeah, it was um, really interesting. Kind of my first, my first ever meal at Regents was next to Andy. And so it's mm -hmm. really nice to kind of have ended up kind of this like, you know a sort of sense of coming full circle being back at Regents and now Andy is back at Regents as well and um and so kind of that connection continues there too so yeah it's interesting how you kind of associate people with different places and spaces um we um we pick up on the in the conversation that you're we'll, we'll listen to in just a moment about uh theology live which yes. is one of the reasons that many people know of Andy, um, uh, because Theology Live is a, a day conference of, of Baptist ministers and theologians um, who um, 
offer different papers on different topics and um, it's a day of just hearing Baptists who are doing academic theology but but usually grounded in pastorate as well um, and and that's a real kind of um, I want to say a mark of Andy's ministry um, mm. that he's mm. really really keen to enable theological thinking in the union um, we also need to confess that we recorded this ahead of schedule um, to make life work because Oxford terms <laughs> where some of us are uh, don't be busy they'll be busy so um, uh, I say this and we're recording in December and, and David's a minister so I'm not sure how how this has worked out <laughs> Sorry, David, but right. we're recording this in the depths of December, um, knowing that it'll come out uh, probably a couple of weeks after Theology Live will have happened. So I guess we just want to say we hope it's gone really well and yep. um, there was an interesting day and that in different ways we're looking forward to engaging with that day um, when it comes. Are you going this year, David? Or I'm hoping to have go. Gone? <laughs> have I gone? Have I gone? Yeah. I am hoping to go, but... Um, well, this is not very interesting for everyone listening, I guess. Um, I've, I'm I'm away I'm, uh, for a few days at the start of the week, and I'm just not sure I can then not be around on the Friday. So um, we're at the week after or the week before I'd have been there, but at that particular week, it's a little bit tricky. Uh, but if I can, I'd love to. I've been before, really appreciated the space and the thinking, and I've met excellent people. It's where I first met Lee Greenwood, who's one of our uh, guests, obviously, on the podcast previously, and other excellent people are available um, as well. So, yeah, it's been good. And I think having a space to think is so important. Perhaps we'll pick up on that um, when we chat after hearing from Andy. Uh, but, yeah, Theology Live is something I've, I've appreciated. And even if I'm not going there at this time, I'm glad it's happening. I think mm. It's important. Absolutely. And I think in the hybrid nature of life now as well has been really beneficial so that you can engage with it, even if you're not there. I remember yeah. Theology Live happening in, you know, one of those depths of lockdown moments where yes. I had a small baby um, and it was the reason I could go was because I didn't have to go anywhere. It was all happening in my living room and I spent the day uh, listening to um, kind of people's theology papers whilst trying to stop a small person eating random things in my living room <laughs> as they do at that kind of starting to crawl stage of life. So um, yeah, it was, it's been, it's very interesting. So I'm really glad it's hybrid because it's meant that I've been able to tune in even when life has meant that I can't go, which I, I don't think I will be able to go this year because it's, um, we've got our new principal starting. Yes, of course. Um, and that's the day we've got a kind of big ceremonial dinner and everything going on. So I am probably going to have to be in Oxford, which yeah. is a shame. But um, I mean, it's not a shame. We're very excited about the new principal. It's a very good thing, but but a shame yes. not to be in two places at once. I wish I had that superpower. Well, well corrected there. If the new principal's listening, I hope you noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so really listening? Excited, actually, I'm quite excited for the new principal. Yeah. We'll have to feedback in the next. <laughs> yeah, when we come season. to season five, I look forward to hearing all about it. Um, but yeah, let's listen into our final interview of uh, season four, and this is a chat with Beth with Hello, Andy, and welcome to Something to Declare. Hello, Beth, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's very lovely to have you on. Um, Andy, one of the um, 
one of the many reasons we picked you for our podcast is that we're um, actually really hoping that you might be able to tell us a little bit more about what something to declare actually is because we've nicked the podcast title from somewhere else. Um, you're you're a Baptist historian as part of your ministry, so um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit what is something to declare. Uh, well, something to declare uh, was a study of the Declaration of Principle for of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, something that some of your listeners may be aware of. Um, and it was a booklet written by uh, the principals of the four English colleges uh, in 1996. It was probably written in 1995, but uh, or something like that. But it was published in 1996. Uh, and it appeared uh, in a period of uh, of the 1990s, where the Baptist Union was asking questions about its future, uh, especially its future as it uh, approached the millennium. What kind of Baptist will we be in the millennium? Uh, and one of the things uh, that happened at that point was uh, the General Secretary, David Coffey, and the Deputy General Secretary, Keith Jones, decided to call it a, de a denominational consultation. Mm -hmm. And it was the third one of the uh, of the 20th century. There'd been ones, I think, back in the 60s and one in the 70s. Uh, but here they called uh, a denominational consultation, uh, which took place in September of 1996. Uh, and I guess uh, from what I can understand is that um, I'm not sure whether the principles were asked or whether they decided that they wanted to make a contribution uh, to this uh, conversation about uh, the future of Baptist union life. Um, I dare say, actually, it was the principals wanting to do something because three of the principals had a history of writing uh, together that went all the way back to um, 1980. Um, they'd written a book with some others called A Call to Mind, and then a second one called uh, Bound to Love, um, and then a third one, which also came out in 1996, on, called Reflections on the Water. Uh, and so these three of the principals, uh, Paul Fiddes, Brian Haynes, Richard Kidd, had a history of working together. Uh, and Michael Quick, who's the principal at Spurgeon's, joined them um, to write uh, this little booklet, which was a study of the Declaration of Principle. Um, which, um, and if do stop me if I keep, I can keep talking for quite a few That's more minutes, really probably. Interesting. Um, uh, and so there had never been a study of the Declaration of Principle. Um, it uh, had just, I guess, appeared uh, in some form. Uh, there is a guy out there writing a PhD called Jeff Jacobson, who may tell us more of the history of its emergence uh, when that's finished. But it kind of appeared at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, but had never really been something that anyone had reflected upon theologically. Uh, and so I guess as, as it's the basis of our union, the principal saw this as a good starting point perhaps to reflect on that question of who we are as Baptists uh, at this moment. And so uh, something to declare is their attempt to uh, exegete um, and interpret, um, very much like interpreting the biblical text in some ways, um, um, the free articles of the Declaration of Principle. Uh, and so the booklet gives a little bit of history of, of, of how the Declaration of Principle emerged, and then they have um, three chapters or three mini uh, sections, which kind of interpret um, the, uh, the Declaration of Principle. And they're not doing that historically. They're also seeking to do that kind of creatively, uh, because obviously the language used in the, 19, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, end of the 19th century, um, we, we might say, as sometimes we do with the biblical text as well, kind of, oh, how do we, we need to interpret this because it's not the language that we might use today. And so they seek to do that a bit creatively. Uh, obviously, they recognise around baptism um, that we live in much more of an ecumenical age than we did at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, uh, language of of 
uh, evangelism they want to hold on to, but they want to situate it in a broader conversation around mission uh, as well, uh, as well as wanting to ask some questions about what it means of the liberty of the church from the, uh, the first article, situating that obviously in the context of a union and associations, what we might call Catholicity. So that is their attempt. Um, and, you know, I think they were encouraged to do that by David Coffey. He writes a forward to, uh, to something to declare uh, and it came out. And, and I think it has made an important contribution uh, and is a little booklet that people keep coming back to. Um, mm -hmm. They published lots of copies. So I think uh, ministerial students always seem to find that, at least at Regents, yeah. seem to find it coming uh, their way uh, as, as kind of remainder ones are still out there. Uh, but it's also obviously now available as a PDF. But I think it remains an important thing because it takes this important moment of what holds our unions together and seeks to reflect on it historically and theologically. Mm. Yeah, I think it's always interesting, isn't it, that it's this tiny little booklet and, and Baptists do seem to do so much of our theology in tiny little booklets. And then trying to find them on your bookshelf is always really annoying <laughs> because you're like, which one of these tiny little booklets is it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I should say one other thing, obviously, around it, which I have not mentioned, is is they want to situate um, uh, the Declaration of Principle and Baptist life um, within a context of covenant theology. And, and so they read the Declaration of Principle as a covenant document. So if you know anything more of the work of Paul Fiddes, uh, he has taken um, uh, the idea of, of, of covenant, which he, he uh, sees, and him not alone, but um, sees going all the way back to the 17th century, saying that Baptists had this covenant theology uh, which is still something important for us today. And so that's the other thing that's going in the mix of something to declare. It's, it's an attempt to read uh, our life covenantally and the, and this declaration of principle as a, as a kind of covenant document in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I've I've always understood it that way. But I guess if you kind of grow up with post something to declare, that's probably obvious in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been. Oh, ab absolutely. Yes, I think so. Yes. Um, you know. Fiddis and Haim's kid and quick, I think, have shaped um, that conversation significantly. Yeah. That, that we, we think covenantally because of them. That's not to say that everyone thinks covenantally, and it, it, it remains a term that some kind of really warm to and others uh, struggle with. Mm. Mm. Um, so, Andy, I asked you this partly because um, one of the hats that you wear is being a tutor in Baptist history at Regents. Um, and you're developing particularly that digitally so that that can be a kind of resource um, that people can engage with online as well, I, I know. Um, and you're also a minister um, in local church and, and you hold those two jobs together. And you've always been somebody the whole time I think I've known you um, who has had a kind of foot in local church life always and a kind of a view to kind of academic theology and, and kind of academic thinking of a kind of especially around ecclesiology so um I wonder if you'd like to talk a bit about that because you often use the phrase pastor theologian if if people meet you um they'll know quite quickly that you you believe very much in in being a pastor theologian um do you want to talk a bit about what that how that's shaped for you and your ministry and and kind of for people who don't know you a bit about how that's worked out in your life sure um so I, I guess I grew up in a pastoral context my dad, some of you might know the name, Paul Goodliffe, is a Baptist minister as well. Uh, and so I always grew up in that context. Um, uh, and that was a really positive experience for me. I know it's not always a positive experience growing up in a clergy or ministerial um, family, but that was a really positive experience for me. Um, 
And but I guess I've always been interested in these questions of 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 who God is and what that means and what God has done and what that means. Uh, so I did um, uh, Christian theology at A level, um, which got me into some of those questions. And and then for me, the next step was uh, was doing a theology degree at King's College London, uh, from which I went on to do also an MA in youth ministry. Uh, thinking my life might be going in that direction as well. And so just from the beginning, I have just been someone who's partly for my own faith, but also for the faith of others, wrestled with these questions of, of or, or wanting to understand more. How do we read the Bible? How do we understand this theological tradition um, uh, in that kind of way? So that's always been part of my life. Um, and uh, and then I've, I found myself... I, I, in one, going into pastoral ministry, that might not have been a surprise, uh, I guess, in some ways, although I didn't do it immediately. I went and did uh, some Christian youth work and then did three years uh, part time as an RE teacher, uh, which was fun. I talk about that being my national service uh, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then took that call to ministry. Uh, and, and then, you know, while I was training at Regents for Ministry, uh, I went on to do an MTH. Um, so again, continuing to just to wrestle with with theological questions and about how they land in the life of the local church uh, in, in that kind of way. Um, and so when uh, I got ordained and ended up in my first church, which remains still the church that I'm in uh, 12 years on at Bellevue Baptist Church in Southland on Sea, I guess I've seen a big part of my ministry is one that's wanting to help uh, my congregation, but hopefully others, um, think through what it is for us to be Christians today. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a phrase that um, Sam Wells, uh, again, for people who know me well, they know that I'm, I, I find him very helpful. He talks about the difference that Christ makes. Uh, and I guess I'm really interested in the difference that Christ makes to every aspect of our lives. Um, so I, I've often said, there's nothing that I won't attempt to preach on from the pulpit because Christ makes the difference to everything in our lives. So from that kind of way, uh, and then I, I guess, you know, having done the MTH for me, I, uh, I didn't want to stop that. And so I fell into doing a PhD, which at one point was going to be a lot more theologically uh, uh, focused, um, but I got stuck. And so if you ever go to do a PhD, it's okay if you get stuck, I've discovered. Two years in, having not done very much, uh, uh, and when I say not doing very much, not written very much, that's the big thing when you're doing a PhD, you need to write. Uh, I had, I, I completely took a, a different angle, a fresh start uh, and found myself um, uh, looking into the 1990s and what the Baptist Union got up to. Um, uh, and so it became a much more historical alongside a theological kind of focus, um, which uh, what we say now, a, a few years later on, having done that, I now find myself uh, a lecturer in Baptist history. Um, Although my my expertise is in the 1990s, perhaps the 1980s, so it's very recent Baptist history, uh, but enjoying actually learning some more Baptist history as, as as I take on this new role. So all those things mean for me that that theology. You know, I talked earlier about that first booklet that those that Paul Fiddes, Brian Haynes, Richard Kidd, and some others were involved in was called a call to mind, um, mm. which was you know in in our activist pragmatic kind of spirit of Baptists. They were calling Baptists at the beginning of the 1980s to be those who were mindful, uh, to pay attention again to theological questions uh, within the church, but also about how the church communicates the gospel. Um, and if, if anything that I've done, it's I guess I want to stand in that stream of wanting to call my local church uh, and the wider union and, and others to 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 be mindful 
of the theological questions that shape us. And so I've done a few things, again, people might be aware of uh, Theology Live, a one-day conference that um, uh, I've been involved with from the start <laughs> with Simon Woodman and Steve Holmes. Out of that, we've done uh, 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 also a journal now that's that's running, uh, the, the, the Journal of Baptist Theology in Context, uh, and also in very kind of um, still very new kind of things, we're exploring a Baptist academic network, which is wanting to network together those uh, who uh, want to think academically at that level, postgraduate level as well. So all those things, I guess, uh, have been part of uh, that. Philip, I could go. I've edited a few books as well, which is again. To... Sorry. <laughs> you 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 kind of glossed over the fact that you are also somebody that sits on other people to make their academic theology happen, aren't you? That actually you're the person that says, "I I I know you do it because you do it to me, but I know you do it to other people too." Why haven't you written that as a chapter? That should be a chapter in a book. <laughs> and, then you, and then you make people write it in a book that you were inevitably about to edit. <laughs> so, And I guess that's partly comes back to that first question of, you know, you talked about being a pastor theologian. My experience is that there are, there are a good number of Baptists who want to think theologically. We haven't got time to write really long books, but mm. I have found that I, I can help people, encourage people to write six or 7,000 words uh, alongside some others, which hopefully in the few books that I've edited make uh, really interesting books uh, and an interesting contribution to that ongoing question around who are we as Baptists and what does that mean? Um, mm. uh, so, yes, that's that's, I guess, another thing that I've that I've enjoyed doing as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're very good at it. Um, for anybody who doesn't know Andy, I think complete a finisher is is a phrase I would use for you. Um, you're completely like you have a, an ability to make a project happen. Like, like I think not everybody always does in in ministry. So good effort. <laughs> um, I um I guess I there's two two kind of questions that I have out of what you've said, and one is why the 1990s like. Out of out of what you ended up studying, what 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 kind of caught you about that era of Baptist life? Um, you know, there are lots of things we might think about that are interesting about Baptist life, and you were talking about potentially going in a different theological direction. So, what why did you kind of come back to that area? So, I guess it was because um, from the kind of late two thousands into the early two thousand, well, till till two thousand and twelve, uh, I was part of Baptist Union Council, um, and uh, which was which is is a place where Baptists think about try try to uh, explore what it is for us to be a, a, a union. Um, I was about to say that's where we think. I might gently say we there isn't enough thinking that sometimes goes on in Baptist Union Council. Um, so having had that experience and and going into the what was called the futures process in 2011 2012, and my kind of PhD got shifted in about 2014, um, we were back into that process of of who are we as Baptists? What is our future? And for me, I, I guess I just saw that the 1990s was this key moment where so much happened. There were numerous reports. The nature of the Assembly uh, and the Council of the Baptist Union of Great Britain was one. There was one, something to declare. Uh, that was followed up by On the Way of Trust. There was a report on translocal ministry called Transforming Superintendency. Another one on Associating called Relating and Resourcing. There was one on ministry called Forms of Ministry. There was another one on baptism, believing in baptism. There was just this uh, great period of, of theological reflection going on, um, and uh, but also a period of great change. So by the end of the 1990s, the union looks different than it did at the beginning of the 1990s. Uh, and so just kind of wanting to, to explore that and look at that story, uh, some of the key figures within it, 
Um, because for me, it was still living, you know, 10, mm. 20 years on um, to where we were now. Um, and so part of what the PhD thesis was about and the book that then followed from it was wanting to say that, you know, what it is to be Baptist is to be part of an ongoing conversation. You know, we don't have this kind of settled formula. We don't have a 39 articles like uh, uh, the Church of England um, or a magisterium like, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, we have this ongoing conversation about who we are, uh, especially at the level of, of, of association and union, because they're not fixed into our ecclesiology. There's a sense of voluntariness of, 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 of joining um, uh, that we, we're constantly having to come back to those kind of questions. And those questions are still live for us today here in 2022, about to go into 2023. Yeah, absolutely. They are. Yeah. You, are you obviously um, the other question I had was you mentioned being kind of a having a positive experience of being a child of a manse. And I think um, I, I mean, I'd love to know what made it positive, but I also a bit there for how your own Baptist identity came about, because I, I know we kind of you can inherit values, but that where was the point where you realized that was yours as well? Yeah. So what is it? What was it positive about it? Um, I, I never felt like. I never felt ashamed that my dad was a Baptist minister. Um, and and I know that sometimes is experience, especially for your teenage years. And I had a positive experience of church. So I guess that was that that went alongside it. I had some good friends, some good youth workers. Uh, so church was always, you know, I never had that point of rebellion and walking away. So it was positive in that kind of sense. Um, and uh, I don't, I, I think uh, my dad at his best never stopped being, a dad alongside being a minister. So he found ways to get that balance right, which again, I know is not always easy. I mean, I'm now, you know, a father to three children and having to wrestle with some of that as well. So that that was positive. Um, I, I don't know if I was consciously a Baptist, although obviously I was always in a Baptist church. Uh, and it was probably not until, you know, having done a theology degree at King's, um, very much enjoying the theology of Colin Gunton and others um, uh, in, in that way. That I think it was probably in Bath. I think I was in Bath. And I think it was an SPCK bookshop, which doesn't exist anymore, where I came across Tracks and Traces by Paul Fiddis. So it must have been about 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so um, uh, by that point, I was, you know, part time church youth worker and, and things like this. Uh, and I remember reading Tracks and Traces, probably the first book of Baptist theology that I'd ever read, and just finding it, hey, there's something about this. Uh, something interesting exciting about this and uh, I am hoping to um, start very soon in 2023 uh, an opportunity for anyone who wants to to read Paul Fiddis' Tracks and Traces uh, uh, chapter by chapter month by month because I still think it's it's an astonishing uh, an account of uh, of wanting what it is to be Baptist and again that one that lives out in the sense it's a conversation rather than um, you know something that is is set in stone in that way so it was probably around there that my Baptistness became more conscious. I guess that was also the time that I found myself through something which was called the Younger Leaders Forum. Oh, yes. Uh, um, um, <laughs> I found myself uh, mixing with other Baptists. Um, I found myself um, having, not not regularly, but getting myself into, involved into something of Baptist Union Council, of going to the assembly, um, which I'd never done before. And so a world was opened up to me. Um, and I guess for most of us, we belong to a Baptist church we're not sure why sometimes it's Baptist and, and it's only when you get caught up into a wider thing 
that you that 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 baptistness kind of comes out a, a lot more mm. yeah I think that's very true yeah that you suddenly realize there's a distinctive um that you can see patterned in other in all these other little local churches that also call themselves baptist yeah yeah and there's a history there's a tradition uh, I think for me that was that was you know and that's part of what Paul's writing about in that book he's talking about the tracks and um, we didn't just appear you know at you know at the end of the in the 1990s we have a history that goes back um and so for me you know uh I'm uh I'm a, a avid reader of Stanley Howas who picks up from uh Alistair McIntyre as well that sense that we are tradition communities um and um for me some of the interesting work uh, you know it, if we go to the North America it's Curtis Freeman and contesting Catholicity Steve Harmon and his books wanting to pick up this sense that Baptists have a, have a tradition. Now that tradition doesn't rule because we always want to come back to scripture alongside, but we are not a people without a tradition, which continues to kind of shape who we are. And for me, that's one of my, I guess, I, I found myself drawn into the history because I'm interested in the tradition and how it continues to play out in the present. Yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, well, I agree. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad to hear you say it. Yeah, I definitely think we have a tradition I remember um reading Baptist sacramentalism um and having that moment um and I think because in a, an ecumenical experience at the time yeah suddenly having this oh there's a Baptist way of doing this and and it was almost that we had a, a kind of a method or a a mode of 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 kind of practice that that I could suddenly see and name that was very exciting so I yeah I remember um, being delighted by that um, yeah it's funny isn't it how you kind of stumble across theology that suddenly explains who you already were to yourself <laughs> um, yeah um, so, you know, so I, I guess one of the things is we don't have many you know if, if I think about all the people that I was reading when I was doing undergraduate kings none of them were, were Baptists and so for me that was the other thing actually there are Baptists out there who can stand alongside you know some of what we might call the premier names of, of theology in the, in the tradition that you know that actually we, we we're not we're not the kind of child you know mm -hmm. we, we can stand with the grown-ups and have theological conversations and I think Paul Fiddis has represented that uh I, I guess most clearly um you know there are others as, alongside John Colwell Steve Holmes uh, in the UK uh, Ruth Goldburn um who, who have demonstrated that we can we, we we can talk alongside you know the great Anglican Lutheran Methodist theologians and and you know and I think we we need to recognize that that we do have a contribution to bring yeah um, yeah I think we can be um a bit timid can't we um and and because we I think our focus on the local um which is so much of our essence then we I think we we can be nervous about the kind of being kind of national or international in our kind of thinking and therefore we can kind of our theology our you know I made a joke about the pamphlets but perhaps some of our best theology is done in little pamphlets because we've been a tradition that loves a pamphlet um uh but but actually you know that kind of actually to kind of recognize that 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 history of descent of pamphleting actually is part of who we are and actually that that means we can offer something really brilliant um into the world yeah which leads us actually very neatly into our two questions that we always ask people um at the end of every interview um and so i'm interested to hear what your answers are um if you think um 
if you have one thing to declare to the Baptist Union, what would it be? Um, well, I think it would probably pick up, and this might reflect into the second question as well, which I think you're about to ask, um, is, is to continue what I, I, I tried to do uh, in my Whitley lecture, which is to recognise that Baptists have a politics. Mm. Um, and, and what I mean by politics is, is, is that way we have a way of living together and seeking to live together. Um, that's what I think we we need by politics. It's not what happens at Westminster that is part of it, but actually politics in its its real sense is how do people live together in, in communities and relationship? And we have a Baptist politic. That's what I attempted to argue uh, in my Whitley lecture, um, which I'm coming to the end of that year. Um, it's called the Witnessing Christ and the, no, the Ruling Christ and the Witnessing Church. Uh, and it was an attempt to try and uh, explore, at least in one way, what that Baptist political theology was. And I think if we can begin to grasp that, it begins to, you know, and, and what I did in that, actually, you know, I guess this takes us back to your first question about something to declare. Um, I used the Declaration of Principle as, as a way of framing what a Baptist political theology might look like. Um, um, uh, and so what would I want to say to the union is, possibly read my Whitley lecture uh, and, and, and 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 could could we as a union begin to recognize our politics um uh, uh you know around um uh, uh the rule of Christ uh, uh around um the church meeting around baptism uh, around the way that we think about mission uh, that 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 kind of Baptist politics that shapes that uh, in, in many ways um th there's a tradition there that I think we can that we can lean into um, which I think potentially is a way of helping us when we struggle and have disagreements. Uh, and so um, a few months after I, uh, I published the Whitley Lecture, I wrote something for the Baptist Union. Um, you can find it on, on the Baptist Times website, which was um, something along the lines, how do we live with our disagreements? And it was, I guess, partly the next step from the Whitley Lecture, which is wanting to say that, that, this, that this politics that I see it also has some accompanying virtues, um, mm. which demand that when we have disagreements, that we are shaped by, you know, in one sense, word care, uh, by patience, uh, by generosity, um, by by love and by hope. You know, it's, it's it's the theological virtues that I think are 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 sitting beneath those those free articles of that Declaration of Principle. Side note: I don't think the Declaration of Principle is perfect. I think it's in, in some ways it's an inadequate, but it's what we have, um, and I think it is it is an amazing document uh, that I just I think has a theology uh, mm. and has an ethics that comes out of it, and I would love as our union goes into potentially a difficult year in 2023 for us to pay attention to that theology and that ethic that comes out mm. of our tradition of what it is to be Baptist. Yeah, I'm interested that it, to hear the idea of Declaration of Principle as an ethic um what would you improve how would you improve the declaration of principle i really want to know uh, some things just need to be reworded slightly so a, a small uh, idea that you know i i offer in the whitley lecture around the third article where it says it's the duty of uh of of every christian to to evangelize the world i i said well let's make it the duty and the joy mm -hmm. <laughs> it should be a joy to want to share the gospel and not just the duty uh so that's a small one i think the first um the first article which is about um uh, the authority of Christ and the liberty of the local church to discern and interpret. 
I think it needs to have greater catholicity. And I'm I, I'm I'm not alone in saying that. That's that's Barry White, that's John Colwell and others. Mm-hmm. Something that balances actually that the local church is always situated within association, within union. Um and, and we need to find a way of balancing that, which is not easy, but I think that that we need to we need to recognize that a little bit more. The baptism one, well, that's that's a tricky thing because for me as a Baptist in an ecumenical age, uh, I want to recognize um uh the common initiate the initiation of those who've been baptized as infants who have gone through confirmation you know who who live um within the within a congregation and and, and receive uh, the sacraments as a valid journey alongside ours um mm. and so how we articulate what i think is believers baptism i would say is the norm but how we want to recognize others again and yeah. something to declare explores that within within its little booklet um, so those are the things where I think some rewording might help. Uh, um, um, we might need to do more than that, but those are free free examples. Hmm. Yes, um, the challenge of whether you stick with the Declaration of Principle if you end up with something that becomes more more of a longer kind of um, I don't want to use the word creed, but kind of um, confession. Confession. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm very interested, you know, Baptists have a history of having confessions of faith. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing for us to go back and explore what that confession of faith might look like. Uh, I think it's interesting that confessions of faith, there were many and varied and they, you know, it wasn't, there was one and then it never changed. Um, so I don't think we have to be stuck to something, but something that seeks to articulate um, uh, what we believe about God, about Christ, about the church about the world um, would be no bad thing. It, that again, takes us back to 1980, a call to mind. It would be good for us to re- reflect theologically on who we are and who we believe. And I'm sure within our union, there would be there would be a breadth of opinion. Mm-hmm. But um, again, that may not, you know, but to bring that, to, for us to have those theological conversations with some accompanying virtues that help us to have it, I don't think would be any a, a bad thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, Andy, if you think that um, Baptists have something to declare to the world, which I'm sensing from your previous answer you might do, what would that be? Well, partly I want to say here, I might refer you to my answer to the first question, because, again, I think there's something within our tradition, um, within this conversation that Baptists have been having for over 400 years, um, that I think is still something that can make a contribution to the wider church, but also to um, the wider world. Um, and it is that way of how do we how do we live as a community seeking under the rule of Christ um, to, to walk together and watch over one another. So, again, the Whitley lecture it kind of uh, ends in this way of, of suggesting that if, if we could find ways of living with with our tensions and with our disagreements in a way that keeps everyone around the table, by which I mean the Lord's table, um, we might have something that we could show to the world as it seeks to live with its tensions and disagreements in, in wider ways. It, you know, it could extend in that kind of way. Uh, and I guess in some of that, that's not unique to me. I think it's it's uh, there's a broader work that someone called Luke Bretherington is doing, which is called Christ and the Common Life. Uh, and part of the inspiration of the Whitley Lecture was in that book, he gives some case studies of, of the Pentecostals, of the Catholics, of the Anglicans, um, and... And, and and but he didn't have one about Baptists. <laughs> so part of my Willie letter will say, well, what that contribution that we might have to a political theology, again, which which is 
ecclesial so it's you know each each church has its policy its politics but it's also it's, it's a politics that's in the world that wants to speak to the world mm-hmm. uh, and and you know again if if baptists could pay attention to to our kind of uh, our understanding of, of, of the church but also the virtues that that brings out i wonder if that's something that that could speak to the world you know in in its present disagreements uh, around around so much uh, gender race uh, uh, class um you know and just the kind of war, the, the broader sense of, of politics as we've we've experienced it uh, since kind of 2016 with brexit and trump and everything else um uh, and you know and so within that is you know so that 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 the church meeting which in many ways is is, is has at least some connections with 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 democracy as it emerged in england and elsewhere um still might have something to say you know i love ruth uh, moriarty's um uh, phrase slow wisdom mm. that the church meeting should be this place of slow wisdom uh, our wider gatherings as associations and unions should be places of slow wisdom where we're seeking to listen to christ to listen to one another uh, and hopefully find ways to continue to walk together and watch over one another um boy does our world need to find ways to walk together and watch over one another Yes, absolutely. I think as Baptists, we're so good at the phrase kingdom, aren't we? But I think we sometimes miss that that is such a political phrase um, in scripture. And and actually, if we have this eternal kingdom theology, then actually that necessarily has a political impact and reality in our kind of present. Yeah. Um, and how we do, therefore, how we work in the world is completely shaped by that. Um, yeah I think sometimes as Baptists uh, perhaps as evangelicals maybe more specifically um, we, we've kind of n- been nervous to um, to engage with politics in that way um, because we, I think we've seen it as um, to be you know a, a, a real desire to be not of the world um, uh, and that that kind of sometimes has led to a distancing that has meant we haven't haven't given our ethic away as freely and as generously um because we've been kind of scared of of being kind of contaminated um if is yeah that... i i think yes so when when we hear the word politics i think we're driven by the politics of the world you know for us in the uk that's the politics of westminster um and, and we think that that's what we think politics is and you know and and i might even gently say even um the joint public issues team i think is governed by the politics of westminster um, what I'm arguing, and I think it's true for the others who are part of the other church traditions, part of joint public issues teams, is that we have a poli- politics within our ecclesiology, mm-hmm. um, which actually, if we if if we uh, took more seriously and 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 kind of explored that a lot more, I think that would then shape our political engagement um, with with the world and with the politics of Westminster or whatever it might look like, um, and for Baptists particularly, that would be a local politics. Yeah. So again, you know, for me, what is it that we bring to the world? It actually, is 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 it does who cares? Well, no, it, it is important. What happens at Westminster is not as important as what happens in in the local place, the places yeah. and spaces in which we live, uh, and 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 Baptists have a have a real something to offer within that because our emphasis on the local. And I do think the stuff that JPIT does that is the most inspiring and exciting is the stuff where it really takes local voices and amplifies them in different ways and and creates kind of does the community change work that you know they do i think that's that's the stuff that 
for me is really exciting as a Baptist when they, yeah, they do those things. So, yeah. Um, Andy, it's been an absolute joy to listen to you. Um, as ever, I always love our conversations, but um, this is one for for the rest of the world to kind of listen into us um, thinking about these things. But um, it's been a real joy to listen and to find out more about something to declare, but also just to hear more about your journey in your um, ex, you know, how you how you feel about being Baptist and and your stories in that. So thank you very much for bringing your thoughts um, today and. Um, uh, I'm very glad to have had you on. Um, you're very much in the list of people who make me Baptist. So um, it's been a delight to have you. So um, thank you for being part of this covenant thing that we do together. Thank you, Beth. It's been a privilege to be included in this uh, amazing podcast series. So David, what did you make of that then? Well, there's lots of things. I made some really interesting notes. Uh, so grateful to Andy for his time and uh, enjoyed listening to your chat with him. I guess if I, I'll go through it in the order that Andy said it really, <laughs> but uh, obviously <laughs> spent a bit of a while talking about something to declare the declaration of principle. And obviously in the Baptist world at the moment, this is quite a live conversation for a variety of both interesting and not very interesting uh, reasons. Um, and I thought it was interesting reflecting on the paper of something to declare, but, also, but where that sat in the context of other things that were being written and how the principals who wrote it very much placed it in the context of uh, being a covenant community as well. I thought it was interesting to hear Andy reflecting on that. Um, and on that, I listened very recently to Ruth Goldborn's Edify lecture or session on um, the Declaration of Principle, which was put together by Edify and, and Northern Baptist College. Um, I couldn't watch it on the evening, but I was able to catch up later. I think it's still on YouTube. Mm. If you want to catch it. And that was a real, I mean, as one would expect with Ruth, but it, it was an absolute masterclass in how the Declaration of Principle came to be and what it's about and what it is and what it isn't as well. And it was just really, really interesting. So, and great to hear Andy's uh, reflections um, on that. And I think a bit later on, you reflected on with him, you know, I thought it was a great question to say, okay, what would you change yes. uh, as well? And, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not someone who's going to say it's a perfect thing. I think certainly the language, I thought the, I, but I'd never thought of putting duty and joy I liked, in there. I liked that a lot. I mean, I think the evangelization of the word, it has a slightly colonial tone to it that I think needs, yeah. needs changing. Um, I'm not so bothered by the first and second ones being changed. It's the tone of that third clause that I want to change most. But I recognize that that's not the one that's generating the most conversation. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think the with baptism, I... I think it is our unique distinctive as Baptists. Um, and I really want to keep that. At the same time, uh, you can't be a Baptist minister if you haven't been baptised by immersion. Did you know this? Um, yeah, I forget that. Yeah. Um, and and so there is a point where I think, well, we believe this until we don't. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and then, um, and obviously, because what we say is that we believe in this particular form of baptism and it is so important to us. And of course it is. And, and I, you know, for me it's a, it's the gift of what it is that you know it's the chrysalis language of um 
the drama of the sacramentalism being so important. Mm. Like if you if you if you can if you can be present to that, then then that's that's that changes you in a in a different kind of way, an additional kind of way. Um, but I think um yeah, I obviously in an ecumenical marriage, so I think I sit very closely with those who are very, very deep and committed faiths that would have a very different view of baptism. And and I think, you know, the initiation thing that Andy referenced is much more, you know, that would be what I would think. And um, yeah, just kind of this moments where you kind of get brought up short by it, kind of really interests me because I'm like, oh, oh, it, oh, it's really tricky. I want to hold out for this, but at the same time, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think this is, you know, what... Perhaps we're not all in our union in the same place about what the key distinctives that make us not other things are. Um, that's, a real, that's a hideous sentence. Um, <laughs> by which I mean, for me, the fundamental separation of church and state is probably more important in my thinking and theology than the mechanics of baptism. So were, say, the Church of England to be disestablished, I think there'd be some very interesting conversations to be had about why we're all as separate as we are. I, I think until that happens, there, there isn't a conversation to be had. And I would go to the wall on the importance of the state and the church not being connected in that way, because I think the church always gets bent to the state and never the other way around. Um, but so whereas for me, so for me, I would put that above that. I I could, I don't know if, you know, I don't think this is anything inappropriate. It's going to affect my accreditation, but you know, who knows? Um, I could yeah, if you can rank the favourite principle. <laughs> like, yeah. Which principle do you put first? Yeah. You know, I, I know some people who would just be, you know, over my dead body, am I going to be involved in an infant baptism? I, I, our church doesn't practice infant baptism. It's not what we do. It's not what we think we should do but it's not something I would die in a ditch over. Mm. And, you know, colleagues who end up working in LEPs have to square this circle and in chaplaincy settings have to square this circle as well. Um, so for me, I always find that really interesting. Uh, I mean, I was baptised by immersion. You know, that's my own story and it's what we practise here. But anyway, probably yeah. going into the long grass. But I, I think it is an interesting thing as to what what the key distinctives are. And I don't think it's the same for all of us, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. No, that is interesting, isn't it? Because I think, yeah, I would, I would probably find myself saying something about that. It is the lordship of Christ, and and that in the kind of political sense that Andy brings out there, that we have in our kind of free churchness, but also um, the, for me, it's it's that um, each church having the liberty, um, and I, I come back to that bit. Uh, you know the freedom of the local context to discern and my theology of baptism flows through the first principle from the first principle because I believe that if you believe if you, that's your theology of church it sort of necessarily means that you have a view of baptism that means people believe that um you know that they've they've they are in they're in a con a kind of conscious place of faith if that's the right way of putting it uh, I guess certainly a conscientious place of faith um and um and and I think you know so my, my theology of baptism emerges from my local ecclesiology rather than the 
probably rather than the other way around. Now, it's probably changed in my lifetime. I think when I was baptised, it was probably believers' baptism, you know, the kind of individual, the yeah. individuality of the of the believer and the freedom of that individual um, was probably more important to me. But I think for me, that kind of, it, yeah, that, that really that now for me flows through my from the first um and the evangelization and the everybody being a participant i think is kind of um an an obvious one in in that yeah that kind of but i like the idea of joy as a post not as as opposed to duty but you know duty is a word <laughs> um, yeah. that says a lot of things and i think um yeah the the kind of i suppose yeah it's quite an old-fashioned word duty isn't it now and I suppose I'd want to say kind of it's um it is the gift of everybody to be part of the evangelization I think so you know and sharing the good news evangelization of the world does like you say sound incredibly plainly on love and you're absolutely spot on about that so I think I'd want a different phrase Mm. I think perhaps one of the things that has changed actually is obviously when you know where we are now original context of DFP is that we're in a situation where you know my, my kind of my cohort growing up weren't Christians really yeah. and it was a minority it is a minority faith and so to pick holes with one with about baptism with other faith traditions it just seems like such a thing to you know like why are we why that one <laughs> you know, um if whereas where we're in a kind of context of actually not a lot of people sharing the faith in that way anymore and most people being unchurched and simply having never met the story and say you know the evangelization conversation is actually a very live one but that means working with people with very different baptismal beliefs to you um, and that being part of it and also different church structure beliefs to you too because yeah. you know don't believe in bishops either but um purple granny as she's known in our house is a very <laughs> good thing so um yeah. For those who don't know who Purple Granny is, go on, <laughs> help people out. Yeah, so my 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 mum in law is um is Bishop of Reading, and um she's a very good thing, um and uh and the Church of England is very lucky to have her, um and so and and have women in ministry as bishops now because that's obviously a very recent move. And I think yeah, should... yeah. Um, but my little boy, um she often travels because the nature of her job is she's often yep. turning up in purple um and um to stop in and see us for half an hour on the way past or something and um so my, my little boy described her um as purple granny um trying to work out which granny was going to come and see us <laughs> I, I love that i mean it and could be worse it's become known as she's known as purple granny if he tries to say which one purple granny yeah, yeah. purple granny <laughs> And you all know what he means. So it works. It's so lovely. Exactly. Um, I also, I mean, that is the thing we're missing out ecumenically, isn't it? Purple. I mean, yeah, more purple. I mean, I'm all for that. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the robes too. That's but not in there in the DFP. No, um, let's put it in. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd be more for sort of a raspberry magenta pink, actually. But anyway, there you go. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, interesting reflecting on that about how obviously you're. Uh, husband has a clergy parent and Andy Mm -hmm. reflected on that as well and I mean we both um have children and are you know ordained ministers as well so there is something here about um man's life 
And I thought it was really interesting to hear about that from Andy as well. And indeed, um, with other people we've had on the podcast, it's surprising to me how frequently I find out that colleagues I know, like I did, I obviously, if I don't know their parents or their parents have retired, you don't always realize, but it's more common than I realize that people sort of follow in one of their parents' footsteps into ministry. Really is. And I find that really interesting because my parents aren't at all in ministry. Um, or really Mine aren't in church, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, so so actually for me, it's sort of this kind of, I'm the slightly quirky person in the family yeah. unit. So I quite like being married into a, a family mm. where church is a bit the firm, you know, sometimes. But um, but it is it is it does mean that people get it, which is lovely. Yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot in that. And, and get, you know, man's life. I mean, vicarage life is man's life on steroids as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that can that can be really helpful from, mm. you know, small things like just trying to get, you know, the practicalities if you live in a tied house. Um, anybody who lives in a tied house, I'm sure, will sympathise that, you know, just things go wrong and then you get trying to get them fixed and just the challenge of negotiating, whereas, you know, it's like having, it's a more, co- it's a more complicated relationship, I think, than a typical landlord relationship. Mm. Um, oh definitely because you're you know the bank accounts that you're asking the money from yeah and, you and you're pastorally responsible for the people that you're potentially upsetting by talking about things and asking for things as well yeah and and you know that you know the kind of sacrificial giving that people put in to make that money happen for the church and and so I yep. think there's there's a kind of a challenge in in some of those things aren't there um you know but that matters for if you're housing your kids in that environment i had matters for housing yourself in that environment i want to say as well i mean it doesn't have to be kids but i think yeah it's interesting also raising children in the light of of that particular role of church life and i was thinking how you know some of those skill sets and there they are sometimes skill sets um come can come with being a child that's in that environment so you know how much is it that the kids get the opportunities to speak because of who you are and they're about. And so they get given the chance to become a public speaker at quite a young age and um, lead in worship usually, you know, if it's, you know, would you like to do a reading or would you like to say a prayer Mm. or would you like to be in the nativity play? And those are things I think we should, obviously we should be offering to all children in church life, but, and actually, you know, kind of thinking of kind of Andy and his research actually about putting the child in the center, but kind of actually the, you know, making enabling children to be participants in worship is something I think we like to be good at, but we're not always good at in churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they shape our worship and picks up on a conversation we had a few weeks ago on the podcast, doesn't it? Yeah, but- it does. Mine uh, had a one of my children had a, a situation last week, I think, in their RE lesson, where you know the teachers turned to them and said, "Well, you must know the answer to this because your dad runs the church." um it's kind of the language that they used and unfortunately they did know the particular answer that they were being given I don't I think it was probably Christmas story related I don't think it was overly taxing but it I was just conscious that you know they become known by that in some ways too and and that is something that I'm, I'm sure on differing days they'll wear proudly and on other days be deeply embarrassed by um I mean, we're still at primary school with both of mine just, yeah. so uh, perhaps that will change. I don't know. Um, I guess if you go in and do school assemblies in their secondary school, that might be a problem. If you yeah. don't. Then... I can't imagine that I would be allowed to do that. 
Um, <laughs> I, I'll tell the story on the podcast. Um, my daughter, who's in year six, which is top year juniors in old money, and uh, she plays football, part of a team, uh, Rayleigh girls, and she loves playing. And I don't get to go and watch her very often because um, sometimes the matches are at inconvenient times for someone who uh, works doing what I do. But I did get to see her play a game recently. I was very good. I didn't say too much. I didn't think she's very embarrassed if I cheer a lot on the sidelines. And as we were getting walking towards the car, she said to me, you're so embarrassing. I said, what do you mean I'm so embarrassing? I said, I didn't say anything. I was trying really hard not to. She said, yeah, but you're just there. And I thought, wow, we've moved into a new phase of life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just my very presence was embarrassing enough. Um, so, uh, um, I don't so, know, though. I think what Andy was saying, wasn't it? That yeah. his dad was there, actually. Yeah. Being, the, being the there is the gift actually through all of that mm -hmm. yeah and this is one of the gifts that ministry does give I know it's probably slightly different now working in college but there is a flexibility to ministry that although it's very full-on and there's lots going on I've not really missed many nativity plays and I've done most of the parent consultation events and stuff like that and those are things where more often than not I can make my diary work around being there at some of the important moments for them mm. and that's something I'm very conscious isn't afforded to a lot of people in other ways so although there are pressures that come with it actually it does enable you to be there in other ways that I think can be very helpful and I I, I have a quite inquisitive six-year-old um who asks big theological questions that I like think oh my gosh I've got to try and remember back to kind of you know <laughs> <laughs> um but um but I think, you know, the good thing is I don't give him, I, I hope the gift of some of it is that he doesn't get fob off answers in our house. Um, yeah. If we don't know, we, we say that. And we also, but that we really kind of really try and give like, well, I think, you know, there are different answers and these are some of the answers that people might come to and kind of really try. And, and my hope is to give him a, um, the my hope, I suppose, and this comes with my Baptist identity of wanting him to be able to make his own decisions um but I think for me it's about exposing him to a kind of real quality and complexity and depth of of the church's thinking on things so that when so as as he meets God and knows God and and you know and brings that gift those gifts those questions and 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 that the faith life he has that he can offer as he offers those those are received as a gift to us and I think I'm a hope is that that makes a difference yeah yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. And I guess the challenge of some of this stuff is we we won't know until you know we'll come back in twenty years' time and find yeah. out. Why not? I mean, or even forty or fifty. You know. Yeah. You just, I mean, inevitably we screw them up in in some form or another, and it's just a case of how bad it is and what it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, now, there were two other things I thought were worth picking up on. Well, there are lots of things, but I thought, you know, um, within the confines of our, our podcast. Um, <laughs> the, the first was just this idea of the pastor theologian and um, talk, using the language of one of the reports about a call to mind and the importance of Baptists engaging theologically amidst all our activism. And I just was like, yes, absolutely. This, I mean, I am not nearly as clever 
um, as Andy is, and I'm never going to have a role teaching in a, a college. Uh, so that's not, I'm not coming at it from that sort of academic perspective at all. But you're thinking about these things, reading, being stimulated, having your brain uh, shaped and sitting in rooms of people who are cleverer than you. And just, we need to do so much more of this. And I think it's one of my biggest frustrations with our wider life. And this is a soapbox I will stand on for as long as anyone will let me listen to it. It's just, there aren't, there isn't enough theological heft yeah. in our structural life there. And that, there's almost a lack of gravitas, if you like, in so much of what we do. And you think, oh, this would so benefit from having someone in the room who might ask different types of questions. And it just, and, and a gravitas is one of those things that's very hard to define, but you know it when you experience it and you're amongst it and we need more of it. So I was like, yes, yes, yes. This is, we need more of this. And I'm hoping perhaps the new CMD regime mm. will help. And I certainly think anyone coming out of college in the last 20 years will have had the importance of sort of lifelong learning drummed into them in a variety of ways, which is really healthy. <laughs> um, whatever the latest sort of, you know, phrases are around that. The principles are the not changed, just to be honest. <laughs> I'm sure they haven't, but... I just yeah, I just wanted to amend that really. I thought it's so good to hear Andy articulate it so well because I think that's a really important thing and would be a really important development in the life of our union. So I, I, I yes, often, um, and yeah, I realise you can't see me nodding on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was nodding the whole way through, um, and I think um, you know it is the challenge to create the space, isn't it? Yes. Just, and also to to be a bit uncomfortable because I appreciate mm. and I do really appreciate that that sometimes reading is something that comes easy to people and sometimes it is not you know and and actually sometimes what we're asking people to do is is to read and to to think academically and and if that's a world that you are used to and find easy and come skilled in then that's fantastic but actually if if that has not ever been your educational world, mm. that can be a real, real challenge. And, um, and, you know, factor in, you know, kind of challenges around, you know, kind of learning processing styles and all that kind of thing as well. Um, but I think I, I really want to say, I think a lot of people um, underestimate how clever they are. So I, I, I watch a lot of people kind of nervous about academic study and actually think, but you're really bright. <laughs> you're really bright. It's, and it's learning how to put it on paper if you're doing it academically. But actually it's to kind of encourage them to, to use that, to use your mind, you know, mm. you know, heart, mind, body, soul, strength, you know, that the mind, yeah. the mind part of that being part of what we do. Um, and and I think also, um, you know, can we find creative ways? I think so. I think what, what Andy does, which is so creative, is do kind of book group versions of things. Yeah. Uh, making it really accessible from that perspective but I mean you know could we listen to audiobooks more often could we um you know how do we open up and I think Andy's so good at opening up theology to an accessible level so you can go to theology life for a day meet eight new ideas you didn't have before yeah. um, and but it's a day right you're not committing to a 12-month reading journey you're committed to a day of having but you've had that input and I think um you know in the olden days, um, you know, and I'm very nervous of, 
of ever using phrases like that but there was clearly <laughs> an expectation that mi- people who trained for ministry did did a degree in theology yeah. as as a requirement and and now we form for ministry and we're well aware that that's been a, a means of exclusion and that's challenging and costs are different and and I think you know I I stand by I think we're thinking we form people for ministry in a really exciting creative ways and I think and I think in a ways that really do I hope quit people for being where they are placed but I again it comes back to this I'm obsessed with people knowing why they do what they do so it's not to say that there is a right answer here that we have to be getting to but actually are we having those really challenging you know exciting interesting conversations that 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 expand our horizons that take us deeper you know deep calls to deep and I think the church has got a really interesting um challenge ahead of it in this era of of what it is to live out the kingdom of God and I think it's going to involve us really knowing our you know why we believe what we believe but also why we do what we do and and I think um and and as we come across new theological conversations which we will do in every context mm-hmm. always have done in every context that we we we're kind of really thinking and equipping about what that means and looks like and feels you know all those things too you know, uh, acad- I think yeah I think the problem with academic theology is that we've made it cognitive in a way that forgets that minds are implicitly embodied and as well but yeah I, I, it's your soapbox, but I'm going to stand there with you. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have some fun. <laughs> but, but it is, I mean, it is hard. It is a discipline. I think it's a spiritual discipline. Yeah. So you're going to read, um, and I, I think it, if you don't forge it at college, it's one that's hard to pick up in other places then because you're not in the habit. But I really think, yeah, you know, I want to say to people, this is college in a way is easier because you get given lots of this stuff in classes and you're kind of made to and you might only read half of the reading but you have still read some reading yeah. um, and uh which means that I now set ridiculous readings because then I think if you read half of it you've read quite a lot of the reading but then <laughs> you become I think part of that is you become aware of different things and different authors that resonate with you and don't resonate with you and and one of the gift of, of a community like college or indeed any a ministerial reading group or whatever is that you become aware of things that you didn't know. And so I'd, I'd never come across, heard of, read anything of Stanley Howas before I went to college. And Andy mentioned um, yeah. Uncle Stanley. And um, <laughs> I, I now have lots of books by him and I found him incredibly formative for me to read. But that was one of my tutors at college. I mean, we all had to read a little essay, but I really resonated with it. And he gave me another one of Stanley House's books, not one of the big ones that make it on all the ethics lists, but another book, a smaller one. And he said, I think you'd just be able to read this for fun, actually. And I did. And I really did enjoy it called Unleashing the Scripture. It was a really good book. Um, And so I've, you know, got lots of his uh, works and I enjoy and I've been to hear him speak a couple of times but without being in a space where I was coming across people and things and books you you whatever you're this is where going to conferences and stuff is just so important and making that time for your own development in ministry um and I'm very grateful to be in a church that really recognizes the importance of that as well and well, uh, of me making the time to do that if you're the theologian in residence for your community which inevitably mm. you you can be I mean it's very yeah. rare 
you may have a retired minister, you might have a couple of other theologians for some reason. Um, and I realise if you live in Didcot, this is maybe a slight. <laughs> <laughs> you go to New Road Baptist Church. And I was going to say, shout out to New Road. <laughs> yeah. Then you might actually have, a, just occasionally have somebody who hasn't got a theology degree in your congregation. But um, but I think there is, um, I think there, that that is it, isn't it? That actually you, you, you are taking on a ministry of word. Mm. as well as the ministry of sacrament and I think charismaticism has been brilliant for re-emphasizing sacramentalism and saying the Holy Spirit might really really be present here and look mm. what God might be doing through us and around us and despite us and in our weakness as much as our strength but the ministry of the word part has also got to be there and mm. and so that means are you reading your commentaries before you preach on the text and um you know, we all going to have weeks in ministry. We all have weeks in ministry that things and seasons of ministry, even that, that yeah. things are not as easy. But actually, it's about how is your soul sustained, um, and and that's why I think CMD is really good in its mm. development of this because I think I want people to be sustained by one another's thinking as well as having to do it all themselves. Um, but but actually, kind of yeah, say actually this is this mm. is exciting and this is you know I mean I'm obviously thinking this because I. <laughs> theology. So, well yeah it would be but, odd if you said something different but i think um but i think it's yeah but there's a reason why you do what you do and it's is obviously I, really exciting isn't it but but at the same time i think it's it's also incredibly humbling when you read things and you have to reframe your thoughts yep and the way you've ever thought about your thoughts um and those things are game changing but also that Theology for me is doxology. You know, it is it is our worship. That if mm. the theology should be a part of our worship to God, and and it's taking those everyday things to kind of use the Peterson version of, of Romans twelve. Um, you know, I let's take those like the things that the kind of the things that we're about and mm. and often, and one of those things should be that theology deepens us and 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 yeah. shapes our relationship with who God is because it is ultimately about who we understand God to be. Um, yeah absolutely yeah. um so there we go we've so preached that one sorry everyone. Have. yeah and, <laughs> if you don't agree with us <laughs> well bless you anyway uh, <laughs> what we'll say because uh, part of what andy highlighted perhaps then leading on nicely from there when he addressed our sort of fundamental questions aside from encouraging everybody to read his whitley lecture and you know friends do <laughs> do read his whitley lecture he's very good I think there's um, a, there might even be a YouTube version. There must be. Listen to it because there that must be. maybe struggle with reading. That might be a way to do it. Yeah. Um, and there was a sort of you know extolling the virtues of paying attention to our tradition and our, our ethic. Oh, that was also helpful. Um, but you know, ultimately coming back to the importance of walking together and watching over one another was a phrase that Andy used. It's a long-used Baptist. Uh, phrase and I think doing this is engaging theologically mm. is part of how we make that a reality because it does mean being exposed to people who don't think the same as you and sometimes that just reaffirms what you already thought <laughs> and other times it makes you rethink and I don't think that's a bad thing to be faced to with that um, and I think it's part of how we walk together and watch over one another um, mm. And also Andy spoke about the importance of sort of being, this is partly how we positively engage with the world as well. I think it's so unattractive 
and disappointing, quite frankly, I think, for folks outside the church. If the church isn't thinking, mm. uh, I think if, if you're not seeing a mind at work, a church that's engaging with what it means to be faithful to Christ in any given moment, it's all just static and basically it might be looking wonderful, but it's going to die. You just you're catching it in that moment where the flower blooms just before the petals fall off. But actually, if you want to sustain something and also invite people to be part of the conversation, I really yeah. am going off on one now. Then, yeah. um, there needs to be a conversation for them to be part of. Um, and often engaging with folks who are new to church or outside the church, um, they, as with children, as we said a little mm. while ago, you know that's where they ask the best questions. And you get a good theological workout. Um, anyway, there's a whole series of stuff there, I guess. But I just found it very stimulating. What he was saying, wasn't it, about there's nothing he wouldn't preach on, which I thought was great. Yes. You know, actually, there's nothing off limits here. Like, mm. this is if this is lived ex- lived experience. You know, is there anything that isn't a lived experience? Um, if this is if this is if this is people's life experience, and they're bringing it to you know to, to worship. Yeah. You know, actually, what, how are we meeting? that there yeah. is the church present to that uh, uh offering it in prayer you know giving it uh kind of the dignity of a good theology i think these mm. are all things um so uh having talked about our children of the manse my uh child of the manse is, is just back and waving at me cheerfully through the window so Perfect. there may be some small small person interruptions to today's podcast i um, love that uh yeah no, but it's sorry. good and I guess just to say I'm I'm grateful for Andy and all his contributions to yeah. um all things Baptist I think if you ever, ever want a project to happen you need Andy to do it because he's yeah. just <laughs> good at getting things done but also he make me write things down then <laughs> and he makes me think and I'm better at what I do because Andy's in the church next door and we work together on things I'm I no doubt about that yeah um, and so grateful to um, be part of the same union as him yeah I amen that I definitely I don't think I'd be where I was if I hadn't had Andy in the union mm. so if you don't like what we're doing it's all Andy Goodliffe's fault is what we're saying <laughs> Uh, so note that down. All your letters of com- complaint can be addressed to the Reverend A. Goodliffe at Belvedere Church. See, um, but uh, that's probably a good place to end, and indeed to end the season. Beth, a joy to share season four with you. As you can tell, ever. we don't want to hang up the chat today, can't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we will be back later in the year with season five we look forward to that and hearing from more fabulous people that we're pleased to share our baptist union with so thank you for joining us yeah Um, thank you so much to our interviewees as well yes what a fabulous bunch of people we appreciate a bit of a vulnerable thing as well just the time and energy and having interesting lives that we want to be in a union with you know absolutely denomination or covenant or um institution or (laughs) appropriate movement <laughs> i think that's been that's perhaps been the theme of the season isn't it, it, has, it? I, I, I now feel i'm totally defunct of language that i'm content to use to describe was, our life together i was so grateful when andy turned up with covenant language today i was like hurrah that's the <laughs> <I've seen. laughs> um 
But might you bless us for our final time this season? I will. Um, absolutely. So we do uh, we do pray for you in your um, in your upcoming season um, before we are with you again in whichever ways or shapes or forms that happens. Uh, we pray this blessing upon you. Wherever you walk, may the earth uphold you. Wherever you enter, may you find welcome. Wherever you nest, may it be a good home. And wherever you go, may the love and grace and mercy of God go with you, always. Amen. Well, uh, bless you, everybody. Go well. And we will see you later in the year. Bye, everyone.